today, <laughs> sorry, today we'll be reading from Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the New International Version. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Lynn, for reading scripture this morning. And if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go to Daniel chapter 12. Uh, and also, you can put a bookmark or uh, a finger. We're going to go also over to Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 24, as well as uh, Daniel chapter 12. Matthew 24 and Daniel chapter 12. In uh, November of 2004, so 15 years ago, uh, Cheyenne and I celebrated our very first Thanksgiving together as a married couple, and we were, uh, uh, we didn't have family over, we didn't have anybody, uh, it was just the two of us, it was our, like our first one, you know, the little intimate uh, dinner, little meal, uh, and we enjoyed, we were both teaching at the time, so we were, we were actually really rest, resting up because we knew the holiday season was getting ready to kick off, and all of you teachers know what that's like uh, with kids. So uh, we, we didn't do any Black Friday shopping, we didn't, actually on that Friday, or maybe it was Saturday, I don't remember, uh, we spent the day together, we didn't go anywhere, but we decided to watch some movies, Movies that I had never seen, uh, but uh, so we decided to watch them. It was actually three movies, and they were we watched them back to back to back. It was like eleven hours of movies. It was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, if you don't know anything about it, I'm sure. I mean, it's so popular. Uh, this epic journey of two hobbits who are taking the Ring of Power up Mount Doom in Mordor to cast. It's very nerdy, okay? I'm sorry. But it's going to throw it in the volcano. Evil's going to be vanquished. And I was just absorbed in these movies. I'm like, whoa, because I had never seen them. And uh, I have a very sheltered life. So I'm watching these things, and I'm just like glued to the television uh, because I don't even remember ever reading the books. I know I'm not very cultural, you know, whatever. So I'm just glued into this, this battle after battle, and, and, and I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but it gets pretty bad along the way, okay? There are these Nazguls riding these, these beasts, and they're just, I'm just like, what is going on? Orcs and monsters and people and elves and dwarves and hobbits and all of this, and it's all very epic, and I'm sure certain many of you have seen them or you've read the books. Uh, the struggles get worse and worse. Uh, they reach a point in the, in the final battle where the heroes, uh, you have Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas, and they're, they're surrounded, they, they go fight this final, and they're surrounded by these, this army of evil, and they're making their final stand, like this is it. And, and, and there's this fight, and even though you know, you're looking at it, you're like, there's no way they're going to overcome all of this. It's just hopeless. And they win. And you're like, whoa, how did they win? And actually, they win not because of their own strength. They didn't win because of their, their heroic efforts. It's because of something else that happened behind the scenes that they probably didn't really know at the time. Because miles away on Mount Doom, that's where Sam and Frodo are. And this climactic scene the ring is finally destroyed into the lava and evil is vanquished and all of a sudden the ground just opens up around that army of heroes and all the evil is just gone all of a sudden the massive army is destroyed and so in the story when the evil was at its highest point the days were darkest the heroes triumphed 
Now, I know nerd, okay, fantasy, but I think that's a theme that, that when you look at, in, in, even in the world today, that humans are wired to resonate with this. I think through different storylines of different movies and books that realize the same type of event that happens in our, in our novels and our storylines with superheroes. I'm a superhero fan, so I'm watching Endgame and I'm seeing the part where the, the armies are just all overwhelmed by the evil of the, of the bad guys and there's just one Captain America. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm a hero fan. He's standing there by himself and I'm like, yes. That's it. He's gonna. He's the last one, and then the evil's gonna win. And then all of a sudden, they come in, and the heroes win. We're all wired with this. It's. 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 We love the stories of of good triumphing over evil, no matter how bad evil gets. The Bible's no different. And the the thing about what's different is. That Frodo and Sam, it's all fantasy stories, or Captain America, it's all, it's all some uh, fun stories. But this is true. This is the Word of God. And we have the same thing, the, the, the idea that the, the hero, Jesus Christ, God, is going to win. It's not if he's going to win. The, the, the truth of the matter is when he's going to win. See, we love the stories in the Bible that show this same idea. We love David and Goliath, right? There's no way David's going to beat this guy. This guy's like huge, and David's this little boy. Or we love Moses standing against Pharaoh. Moses, this shepherd, this, this lost guy, and he's, he's got a staff, and Pharaoh's got the whole armies of Egypt. We love stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We love Daniel facing the lion's den. There's all these stories throughout the Bible and down through history of true people making true stands against true evil. And so they resonate with us. They, because somewhere in us there's this desire that, that, or longing that right is going to win. And I think that the, the big question that, that comes into each one of us when we're reading these stories or watching these events is we kind of put ourselves in those people's shoes and we think, what would I do? What would I do? What will, will I do when evil stares me down? When the darkness overshadows me? What will I do when trials and suffering come? What will I do on that day of evil? Will I lose hope and run away? Will I say it's not worth it? Or will I stand and I trust that God is working behind the scenes? That he is doing things in his time? And see, that's the major question. That what are we going to do in days of evil? And I hope that you'll look to Jesus. Not Daniel, not David, not Moses. But I will hope that we look to Jesus. What Jesus did on the day when he stood against evil. When he took the punishment for sin. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he stood. And I hope that you'll look to him. And this morning, I want to see a little bit of this here in this final chapter of Daniel chapter number 12. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your message of truth. Lord, from cover to cover, this book contains uh, the gospel, contains uh, the instructions for life. And Lord, as we see Old Testament examples, New Testament examples of time and time again, of you stepping in to rescue your people. Lord, we live in a day that is becoming darker, a day that is becoming more hostile. God, I pray that we would live with hope. Encourage us today. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're here in Daniel chapter 12. We need to take a moment and remind ourselves of what's going on uh, because this is the final chapter. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, verse, the first verse of chapter 12 says, at that time, uh, and if you notice, it's in quotation marks to show you that the same person is talking from the previous chapter. So I want to go back uh, just for a second and show you chapters 10, 11, and 12. This is the final section of, of the book of Daniel. He's had the events of 1 through 6. He's had the vision in 7, the vision in 8, the, the prayer uh, uh, in 9, and now we have this 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 last vision in chapters 10, 11, and 12. 
Chapter 10 gave us the introduction. Chapter 11 gave us the vision itself. And then chapter 12 here kind of gives us a summary and a conclusion uh, of everything else. So Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 kind of sets the setting of what's going on. Daniel chapter 10 says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The word was true. It was a great conflict. He understood the word and had understanding of the vision. All right, so there's the time period. It's the third year of Cyrus. If you do the math, it's around 537, 536 B.C. Verses 2 and 3. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. We went through this a couple of weeks ago. Daniel has been in prayer. He's been in mourning. When will this evil end? When is this all? You promised us, God, we're going to go back. We've gone back and we're not building the temple like we're supposed to be. So we saw that in Daniel chapter 10. This visitor comes uh, from heaven. It shares with him details, the details that we studied last week in chapter 11. And we notice that these details of that chapter are so verifiable with history that we said, man, was it written afterwards? No, we believe the Bible to be true that Daniel wrote this around the 537 mark, even though the events of chapter 11 don't happen until later. So that God is sovereign, sovereignly in control. All right? Even though Daniel didn't live to see any of those events happen, which could be why the vision was so troubling to him. So in Daniel chapter 11, actually I do want you to look back, chapter 11, verse 31, Daniel 11, 31, and following, we had this, this uh, forces from him shall appear, profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. We studied that last week, and I talked about this guy named Antiochus IV, Epiphanes. And in history, he was seen as, as stopping temple sacrifices and setting up a, an altar to Zeus inside the temple. And he fits the description here very well. And there was this ongoing persecution that was just horrible for the Jews. We talked all about that last week. Now, put your finger here in Daniel 12. And I want you to go over to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. We mentioned before, Daniel is a prophetic book. And being a prophetic book, he's talking about things yet to come. And often through those, we were looking at it from this side, looking back, saying historically, those are the things that happened. But let me show you some words of Jesus in Matthew 24 that kind of actually... Do a little thing with that chapter in Daniel. Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and I think that's important, saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay? So the disciples are with Jesus, and they want to know, when, when, tell us when you're going to come at the end. When is all this end? When is all this evil going to go away? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Kind of ties in with Antiochus IV. He said he was Epiphanes. He was God in human form. That fits right there. But Jesus is talking about the end times. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Oh, there's wars. and Do you understand that there's not a 15-year period of any modern history that there hasn't been wars? <laughs> like, that's just a common thing. There's wars, rumors of wars. So this is a private conversation. Jesus is saying, hey, this is what's going to happen in preparation for me to come back. And Because the disciples are like, when are you coming back? Skip down to verse 9. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, it's going to get bad. Specifically, the disciples all died martyrs' deaths. But I think he's talking more specifically through the church age saying, hey, you're going to go through tribulation. It's going to be, you're going to be persecuted. It's going to get very bad at the end. Now look at verse 15. So when you see the, there's the words again, abomination 
of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, then Matthew says, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. This is interesting because Jesus is speaking to people, the the disciples. Now put yourself in the time period. He's speaking to people who've already gone through or who already know about the horrible persecution of Antiochus IV. Who who already know that, that he set up all of those things. And Jesus says... The abomination of desolation. When that happens, hasn't happened yet. He's saying that there's another one. Seems to suggest some sort of future event after the time of the Gospels. And I find it interesting that Matthew puts this little phrase, let the reader understand. Whoever's reading this, understand that there's going to be another one. Now, go down to verse 21. For then... There will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And in those days, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. I don't think this means saved in salvation. I mean, I think it means no one will be left alive after it. Skip all the way down to verse 41. What's the end of this? Verse 41. Therefore, Matthew 24, verse 41. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know, verse 42, I'm sorry. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, what do we do with all of this? Let me make a few statements about prophecies, okay? Because from Matthew 24, there seems to be Jesus talking to the disciples about this future tribulation, this future thing that's going to happen that ties into Daniel chapter 11. Throughout the book of Daniel, I've purposefully, purposefully not gotten too deep in prophecies other than the ones that have been clear. For example, the ram and the flying goat that we saw a few weeks ago. They're easy to explain because it's easy to Medo-Persians and the Greeks. Even last week, some of those events like Xerxes or, or the, the daughter that was given to them, I mean, these are very clear. But what about some of those things mentioned in Daniel 11? For example, in Daniel, we can go back over to Daniel 11 now, verses 40, and 40, verses 40 to 45, some have suggested that all of a sudden Daniel is writing about something else because he says at the time of the end. When we get to here, we see that Jesus is kind of quoting this, kind of teaching that this is still yet to come. And it seems to suggest that some of the prophecies of Daniel have not happened yet. Was it describing the destruction of the temple in in A.D. 70? Well, no. Jesus is talking about when he returns. Because the disciples are saying, when are you going to return? When is this all going to end? So that didn't happen in A.D. 70. And I come back to, let me say a few things about prophecies here, okay? First of all, prophecies in the Bible are true. Okay? Always Unless it clearly states this is a false prophet. This is, this is, I believe every word of this book. And when it tells me that Christ is coming again, I believe it 100%. That he is going to return. I believe those words. Which means that I believe that the prophecies in the Bible are true as well. I believe in a tribulation. I believe in the great tribulation at the end. I believe in a millennial reign of Christ. I believe in a great white throne judgment. I believe in a literal hell and a literal heaven. So what do you do with prophecies? Secondly, other than I believe it, secondly, whether I believe that these prophecies are interpreted one way or another should not change my response to them. If I start to get into the three and a half years or the northern kingdom versus the southern kingdom or this or that, and it doesn't change my response, that I'm still to live with hope. I'm still to live that God is in control and I'm following the God who is in control. And I know that God's time is the only time that really matters. 
And it's so interesting to me that people have studied these words for centuries are still trying to figure them out. Each generation has people who think, we've nailed it down. It's got to be this, or it's got to be that. I even read an article last week that said that, that Trump pulling the troops out of Syria was the next prophetic step in the end times, and, and that that move was starting all the events of Revelation. And then there's charts and graphs and data and all this. Which leads me back to Jesus' words. No one knows the hour. Could Jesus come back today? Yes. What? The temple's not been built yet. Does it matter? Can Jesus come back today? Yes. Can he come back next year? Yes. Can he come back next century? Yes. We don't know. But we do know he is coming back. So, now, what do we do with this? How do we close this out? Because I think Daniel 12 is a fitting conclusion to this amazing book. And I just want to share three points from this chapter and kind of finish with what is our response to that. So, Daniel chapter 12 now, and you'll kind of see how all this ties together as we finish. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince. At what time? Well, you have to go back to the previous chapters, where in in verse 40 he says, at the time of the end. Okay? So, that that Daniel is, 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 the, the the speaker of Daniel 11 is continuing in chapter 12. So the vision is still happening here. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. The first thing that I want to tell you from Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 is, we have security in the greatest troubles. We have security in the greatest trouble. In verse tw- chapter 12, verse 1, there's this mention again of this guy named Michael. And it says that he shall have charge of your people, that there will be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. Jesus kind of quotes that in Matthew 24. And the, the, the angel that's saying the vision here says, hey, there's going to be this great tribulation. There's going to be rulers and kings and these godless systems that are going to rise up to oppose the people of God. Basically saying, hey, Daniel, things are going to get really hard. Things are going to get really bad. There's going to be times of unbearable stress, overwhelming difficulties. But what I want you to see, Daniel, is that there's going to be a deliverance. Look at what it is. Keep reading in verse 1. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. That God is behind the scenes doing something. And if you read this section, you can see over and over again these wor- the word shall. This will happen, and this will happen, this shall happen, and this shall happen. Meaning, it's certain. Christian, listen, today the world is going to get worse. I'm sorry if you came to get a good message. The message is it's getting worse. Not perhaps it's going to get worse, but it will get worse. But take heart. Because it says you have help. At that time, Michael shall arise up. At the time means when it's the darkest, when the world has reached the worst. Now, who is Michael? Well, this is a reference to an angel. We mentioned him a couple of chapters ago. Uh, This angel here is mentioned that in the moment of the greatest darkness, Michael is going to rise up for the people of God. He's going to help them. This is something that you can be assured of, Christian. That at the moment of the darkest night, the moment of the greatest darkness, persecution in the moment of the greatest weakness there are powers of God that come underneath you and beside you that encourage you that keep you going that prop you up when you need to feel the weakness we saw this in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 1 the writer of Hebrews says that angels aren't they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation that God sends his angels to help you when you desperately need it I don't want to get all ethereal and, and, and spiritual here, but do you know that you literally have the armies of God fighting for you? You have help. And they, they come alongside you. And I, 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 think we don't, I don't think we can even imagine how much that God is fighting for you. You have help. 
But notice it says in the end of verse 1, but at the time your people shall be delivered, then he qualifies it. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Not only do you have help, but you're known. In the days of the great tribulation, there's going to be a deliverance. Who's going to be delivered? Those whose names are written in the book. This is interesting to me. Even back here in Daniel, there's this mention of a book. A book? What book? Uh, Actually, go. uh, let me show you Revelation 20. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book, and then it says, of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, from the words of the Bible, that that God has this book. And it's very, very simple. Either your name is in the book, or it's not. And this is the ultimate question for every single person sitting here this morning. Is your name in the book? We see that in verse of Revelation. That this is a matter of life or death. As a matter of fact, eternal life eternal death and so this morning as you listen to this you have to ask yourself the question is my name in the book because if you don't know you can know because Romans chapter 10 tells us if you confess with your mouth that Lord Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confessed and is saved. And in verse 13 it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you call on the, when the Lord saves you, your name is written in that book. And I'm saying what the Bible believes and saying about who I am and what Christ did for me. My name's in the book. It's saying that, hey, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve eternal punishment from hell. And it's saying that I believe that I can't get to heaven on my own. But it's saying I believe that Jesus Christ took my place. It's saying that I believe that Jesus Christ took the punishment for my sin on the cross. And that he paid my sin debt. And I'm fully relying on what he did. And I'm putting my faith into that for salvation. That's having your name written in the book. Christian, having your name in that book means that you're known. You're known by God. So that when the darkest hours come and the world sees you as nothing but scum, you are known by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what it says. Those people will be delivered. The God of this universe knows you by name and He cares about you and He loves you. So it says you're going to be delivered. Now keep reading. God's going to rescue His people. Verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, God is going to vindicate his people. God is going to vindicate Christians. We have to get this right because if you get the wrong expectations on how God is going to to deliver you, because it says there's going to be a deliverance, if you get these wrong expectations, then when those expectations are violated, you get discouraged. And this is what I mean. Some people say, listen, I signed up for this, this, this Christian thing. I signed up to follow God, and I've been told that it's going to make me healthy. It's going to make me wealthy. It's going to make everything good, that every day is going to be Friday. Everything is going to be great. If you signed up for that, your expectations are in the wrong place. Because your expectations are going to be nothing bad is going to happen. Because then what happens when bad does happen? See, that's the wrong expectation. You've bought into the lie that that's not taught in the Bible. Jesus told his followers, in this world you're going to have trouble. Paul prays desperately for God to remove a specific trouble that he was in. But God never removed it. Did that make Paul say, well, forget it then. I'm quit. No, no. This is how he responded. 2 Corinthians 12. He's, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, this is Paul's response. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am, notice, content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I'm content with those things. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Well, what about the... What about the verse that says, God will never give you more than you can bear? There's no verse that says that. Never ever say that. It's not true. God will so overload you at times that all you can do is, as Abraham Lincoln said, I'm so many times driven to my knees, which is not a point that I'm so in a place to cry out to God. God will so overload you that all you can do is cry out to him for help. He wants you to see that his grace is sufficient. And that his power is made perfect in weakness. See, the Christian life is is God saying, I'm going to ask you to do things with resources that you don't have. So that you then lean on me and find that I am your resource. So how does this vindication work? Verse 2, it says... And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth. Now, what is that? Sleep in the dust of the earth? That means they're dead. They have died. Okay? Some who have slept, many of those who sleep, then it says, shall awake. Some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Notice that some are resurrected to everlasting life. Some are resurrected to shame and contempt. Here's this this juxtaposition, if you will. Some are going to be resurrected to eternal life. And the opposite thing in contrast to that is some are going to be resurrected to shame and contempt. But the thing is, both of them are going to be resurrected. Wait, what? Every person will be resurrected. Revelation 20. Again, I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. We already talked about that one. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So I go back to, is your name in the book of life? Because then your resurrection is to everlasting life. But if your name is not there, your resurrection, your coming back is to an everlasting death. It's to eternal separation from God. Oh, don't say the word hell. Why not? It's in the Bible. I like how the angel puts it here. To shame and contempt. And we're living more and more in a shameless society. That this society that just doesn't have shame, it's just be who you are. There's no shame in who you are. There's no shame in that. And forever and ever, those who reject Christ are going to feel that ultimate shame and contempt, that guilt forever and ever. Now look at verse 3. You are encouraged And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I think this verse means that when you're going through your darkest moments, that God is going to send people alongside of you who will shine, who will shine like stars, who will walk with you to encourage you. That means that church, listen, is so important because what better place to find others who have faced difficulties or to find others who have gone through trials or gone, who can walk beside us and can lift us up in prayer and encouragement. The church is one body, all walking together to build each other up. Paul says that in Philipp- or Ephesians excuse me, 4. That we have these, this body to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I think we're encouraged. And I can speak from personal experience on this, that in my darkest moments, someone usually comes and speaks, sometimes challenging, sometimes encouraging words to me. And usually, they don't even know they're doing it. We walk, we're encouraged to continue on in faith. Number five, they're prepared. Look at verse four. But you, Daniel, shut up the words of the book. Or shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel's told, shut and seal the book. I don't think that this means hide it away so that no one sees it. 
But I think it means that he's supposed to protect it, that he's supposed to make sure it's preserved so that the people who need it later will be able to read it. Do you think that happened? You can answer yes. It's almost 2020. What are we reading? I think Daniel did exactly what God wanted him to do. He preserved his writings. And as we heard last week, the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they found those copies of Daniel, means that Daniel was actively working with scribes to get copies sent to God's people. Hey, listen, he didn't live to see any of this fulfilled. But God was wanting to make sure that, that people who would face the fulfillment of those prophecies would have these words so they would be prepared for what was ahead. And I think that's so critical for us as Christians because we should be prepared. There's a great tribulation coming for this world. The last part of the verse, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Some have taken this verse to mean now, modern time. People running to and fro. You don't believe me? Go to the mall. I went to the mall yesterday and I was like, my wife knows I hate the mall. Because it's that most wonderful time of the year. People are pushing and shoving and hitting. You know, it's, it's just crazy. Oh, people are running to and fro. We're flying in airplanes. And then knowledge is increasing. Do you know how much knowledge is right here on my phone? Like I can go to Wikipedia, which is the source of all knowledge. I think that we should tie that into what is being said here. I like what uh, one theologian, Dale Davis, and I believe his name is Ralph Dale Davis, so there you go, says this, as the Lord's people give diligent attention to this piece of scripture, they will, especially near the end, have a clear grasp of its meaning. It is immersion that brings insight, that we have a clear understanding of Daniel chapter 8, And Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 11. We have better understanding. Why? Because we're on this side of it. That knowledge is going to continue to increase as prophecies continue to come true. Does this mean that we obsess over them? No. It just simply means that we're getting closer. We're getting closer. So we have the book of Daniel. We study it. And there are parts that are still hard. We faithfully keep going because we have security from God. Help. Encouragement. Now, the angel stops speaking at this point, and the vision of what Daniel sees continues. Look at verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. Now, what is going on? Well, go back to Daniel chapter 10, and the verses are up here. That says, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. We, we, we studied this a couple weeks ago. Now it says here in Daniel 12 in verse 5 that he sees an angel on either side of the river. And this voice, perhaps one of the angels, perhaps something else, calls out to the angel that is kind of floating in the middle of the river. And says, hey, you've given us this long vision. Now, how long will the persecution be? Keep reading. Verse 5. I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, one on that bank. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. Stop right there. He raised his right hand, his left hand, he swore by him who lives forever. It's interesting that at the time scripture was being written, they didn't have typewriters, they didn't have computers, and they didn't have a way to emphasize something. Like making it bold or putting it in italics, choosing a different font. Okay, In order for the, the readers to get the attention, many times they would do something else. They would, maybe they would repeat something. They would repeat it two or three times. If you see something repeated in the Bible, then it means you're, you're supposed to focus on it. Or you see something like this. An angel lifting hands to heaven and swearing by the one who lives 
forever. In other words, listen, what I'm about to say to you, pay really close attention to it. Because I am swearing by the one who lives forever. Okay, so how long will it last? Keep reading. Swear by the one who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Times, time, and half a time. There, we got it, right? Everybody know what that is? (laughs) I don't know. Do you know how much ink has been spilled over the centuries by what this means? Is it talking about weeks? Is it talking about years? Is it talking about centuries? Two and a half years? Three and a half years? What is this? Now, let me say this. Our church has a doctrinal statement that holds to a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial view of the end times. Simply put, that we believe as Christians that we're going to be raptured to heaven before this tribulation period uh, of seven years, before the millennial reign of Christ, which is a thousand years. That's what our church holds as its view. And the people that would hold that view would say that this is referring to three and a half years. Okay? That at some point, in halfway through that seven-year period, there's going to be something that happens that ushers in the great tribulation. So basically, that it's going to be bad, and then it's going to be really bad. And I believe that. But let me also say this. I also believe that the specifics could be interpreted by others differently. Now, I believe that view, but I also accept that it is a view of the things that are a mystery to us. So I understand that others might see those words a little differently. I wish the angel had said, year, two years, half a year. He doesn't say that. He says time, times, half a time. Why didn't he say year? Well, it means years. Well, he uses years in other places. So why can't he use the word years here? Listen, listen. Whatever your stance on this, the point is still the same. You don't know the specifics, but God does. Does God know what time, times, and half a time means? Yes. And his time is the only one that matters. He knows the time. He knows what's going on. And I can say with confidence, whatever that means, it means it's limited. It's going to end. It's quiet in here. Okay. Times, times, and half a time. But notice, keep reading. Time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. This is not a popular passage. The shattering of the power of the holy people. Stuart Oliot says this, We will come to the point in history where it appears that darkness has really won the day. It will seem as if the Antichrist is going to continue forever. It will seem as if the church has been entirely obliterated, for there is no longer any sign of it. That's bleak. That's devastating. And if you look at that pragmatically, it might mean there comes a day when this building here doesn't exist as a church. It might mean that it's illegal for us to meet together as Christians. That Satan has won. That the powers of darkness of this world have finally overtaken everything. When I read that, my mind goes to those three days that Jesus was in the tomb. The disciples are devastated. He's gone. We're lost. I don't know what to do. Satan, victorious. He's killed the Son of God, but he wasn't gone, was he? Because that third day, you know what Jesus did? Jesus got up and said, you thought I was dead. Listen, I don't know how dark it's going to get, but what will I do? See, I look at Daniel 12, and I say, there's going to come a time when God will say, that's it. And he will come in and he will intervene for his people in a powerful way. Notice it says they will be delivered. There's going to come a point 
By the way, isn't that the story of Christianity? That that, isn't that what gives me hope now to knowing that my God is going to come and deliver me? Isn't that the story, if I could put it in here, of Christmas? That God comes in and intervenes for his people. Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That God supernaturally intervened into human history. He comes on the stage to rescue and deliver his people. And Daniel is here saying, hey, he's going to do it again. You can be certain of that. Third, we have tenacity in the darkest days. Look at verse 8. Probably my favorite verse. I heard, but I did not understand. Thank God I'm not the only one. Because <laughs> I, I heard, but I did not understand. And I might feel like Daniel does. I just don't get this. There are things in scriptures that are hard to understand. Prophecies are especially this way. Why? Because we don't fully understand until it's already happened. So Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. And I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? There are some things that we have to hold as humbled. Listen, I told you what I believed. But I also told you that it could be interpreted differently. I'm not saying that I believe it's interpreted differently. But I hold it in humility. One of the major th reasons that, that I'm not so dogmatic when I walk through some of these about putting up charts and timelines is because historically speaking, Christians are horrible at putting prophecies together. We're always changing it. Every time something happens, we adjust. Oh, well, it's got to be this. Oh, it's got to be that. Can we go a little longer? Then this Oh, wait, well, it's got to be this. It's gotta, everything just changes. That's why so many people miss Christ's first coming. That's why the Jews didn't get the fact that Christ was coming to deliver them, that he wasn't coming to deliver them from Roman oppression, that he was coming to deliver them from something beyond that. So Daniel questions and he says, how will I know? What will the outcome of these things? When shall all of this happen? Now notice God's response, verse 9. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end, time of the end. When you read that, it sounds like God just says, you know, shh, Daniel, shh. Just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The response doesn't end there. Keep reading, actually. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. See, his response was, hey, God is going to distinguish between the wise and the foolish, the righteous and the wicked. And the thing that separates those things is whoever has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, whose name is written in the book. We already said that. And he says that the wise will understand, but the wicked won't. So what keeps me going when the world gets darker and darker? The understanding of my Bible. The understanding of my Bible that says God is still in control. The understanding of my Bible that says God is still going to overcome all evil. I understand what God promises me. And as for me, that's enough to keep me going, even in dark days. How do I have hope when a family member dies? How do I have hope when I lose my job? How do I have hope when my own health is failing because I have a God who gives me that hope. I have a God who gives me the hope that endures through darkness and pushes me one step closer each day to the end. The end that results in eternal life. Because, ladies and gentlemen, my name is written in the book. How do you know that? Because I know what my Bible says. That all who confess with their mouth and all who believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead will be saved. Now look at verse 11. Oh, look, more numbers. And from that time, the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. In our church view, 
This would be some sort of event that would signify the second half of the three and a half years. 1,290 days is roughly three and a half years. Okay? Could there be an event that signifies that? Absolutely. I was reading uh, one recently that talked about how, well, the temple has to be rebuilt in order for sacrifices to be reinstated, and then the abomination has to take place. And I'm thinking, well, good, three and a half years can easily do that. But then keep reading. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. I read six, seven, six different commentaries on this number. And you know what? Not one of them told me what it meant. And so you want to know what I think it means? Sure. Okay. This is what I think it means. I don't know. I don't know. 1,335 days. That's what? 45 days longer than the first number. So something's going to happen a month after the other thing. Sure. I don't know. But let me go back to what I said originally. I know who does. I know who does. So I continually, humbly go to God in prayer, asking for wisdom, asking for understanding. And I know that one day, when I'm at Jesus' feet, I will then know. Because it will be done. It will be finished. There are things we don't know. And I know people have studied and, and have said, well, it could mean this and it could mean that. And yeah, they could be very well true. But we don't know for certain. So how do I close this? How do I wrap all of this up? Because some of you look like you want to hit me with a tomato. Um, some of you are like, I don't know what you're doing. How do I finish all of it? How do I live with hope, right? <laughs> well, I can think of that I can do no better than verse 13. Look at verse 13. But go your way till the end. Daniel, you've seen a lot. And you've heard a lot in your 80 plus years. Remember, he's old. Sorry. And you have lived with hope through the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, through Belshazzar, and now you're living under Cyrus. And you still have some time left. You're not dead. So, go your way. Go your way till the end and I think that there's a point in that continue to the end and then it says and you shall rest you know what that means Daniel you're not going to be alive to see all of this you're not going to make it so go your way go your way well Daniel 8 I think tells us what Daniel's way was after he saw one of the visions he says he was overcome and he lay sick for many days then it says he rose and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. Did not understand it. Daniel returned to the king's business. Faithfully serving each day in the palace. Waiting patiently for the time to be done. He doesn't. He, God, Daniel just doesn't sit back and say, well, God says all of this is going to happen. So I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to sit. No. He keeps serving. He keeps working. He keeps engaging culture of the day. He keeps living his life as a follower of God. And I say that for us today. Because every single day that we're alive is another day to worship God. Is another day to share the love of Jesus Christ. So we keep going. We keep following after hope. We keep engaging culture. We keep living distinctively Christian. And then look at how the book ends. You shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. I love that. You'll stand in an allotted place. It's the same word that's described back in the early parts of the law where it describes the tribal allotments of Israel. When they laid out the, the map, if you will, and they said that this, this tribe is here and this tribe is here and this tribe is here. Basically, it's referring to a place. That Daniel, you have a place set for you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Jesus Christ said, I go to prepare a place. Daniel... You're going to stand at the end of days. And you're going to stand 
the same as any whose name is written in the book of life, you're going to stand and you're going to worship forever the God who saves you. So I close this morning with reading from Romans chapter 8. I think this is a fitting end. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or a world that's hostile towards God? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Do you live with hope in a world that is hostile towards God? You can. Is your name found written in that book? It can be. Because one day, God's going to say, it's done. That's it. No more. Let us be faithful to the end. Let us go our way, go his way to the end. Some of us will rest. Some of us will pass before that happens. But I will say this, whether you make it to the rapture or whether you die before you get there, those who are in Christ will stand in our allotted place at the end of days. Will you be there? Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we, Lord, we humbly ask you today for wisdom. Lord, there are words in this book, there are words in this Bible that are so hard to understand. They're up for interpretation. And Lord, there have been people who have interpreted different ways. But Lord, we ask humbly that you would reveal to us exactly what we need. God, I know that your time is the only one that matters. And I know and I believe with my heart that you are coming back soon. It could be today. God, there's times I wish it was today that I could cast aside this sin, cast aside this, this struggle. But if it's not today, Lord, help me to remain faithful to you. Help me to remain encouraged by others who are going along the same journey. Help me to remember that I have help in troubles. Help me to remember to, to be as Daniel and to go about your business. God, we humbly, humbly worship you. If there's someone here today, Lord, that does not know, that does not know with 100% certainty that their name is written in the book of life, I pray that today they would know. Today they would understand what you did for them. As we celebrate this time of year, God, when you're, you're, you, you stepped into the scene of human history at the appointed time that you were ready, God, let us remember that your arrival here was not for political uh, gain. It was not to escape from physical persecution. Lord, it was to redeem any who believe from sin. God, I pray today that we would honor you as God. 
that we would humbly walk with you. And when we read these words, as we read them for years to come, for days to come, and we see more and more things happen, may we look to your word for understanding. God is your precious name, your holy name that is above all. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen.